0: I'm thrilled that I have the
1: opportunity to fill in for Libby today when Mark Halpern is here to help us with our financial and estate planning. Mark, welcome. Thank you. And you know his advice is in demand if you've been listening in recent weeks. So please call us now with your questions 416 740 or toll free 1-866-744-740. Mark Halpern is the CEO of wealthinsurance.com. Mark is a certified financial planner, trust and estate practitioner, and master financial advisor. Today, Mark's joined us to discuss the essential information about the philanthropic side of financial and estate planning. But your calls are welcome on anything to do with estate or financial planning. Again, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. Mark, why is this such a good time of year to talk about philanthropy?
2: Well, signs of rain in toronto hopefully we're going to see some snow soon and it's going to be that time of year where we're all gathering together with our families and we just have this tremendous feeling of appreciation hopefully right that you've got family you've got health we live in a great country and uh we have a lot more than we need so if there's a way to incorporate or adopt charities into your family which really are more like adopting as opposed to giving up money you know it's a great way to uh to create some wonderful legacies that go beyond you and and can really help a lot of people in our city who really are struggling.
1: While you're alive and well and working, um, Canadians should be thinking about giving how much, or as a rule, what's a good idea uh, for charitable contributions versus how it positively affects your taxes? Well,
2: I can tell you they did a survey of all the uh, tax returns in Canada, and I think the average donation size for Canadians was around $240. So again, there's no rule Uh, certainly, you know, if you come from religious circles, uh, you know, we learn about tithing, you know, in our religion, Jewish, you know, we have, uh, we give something called tzedakah, which is really more like righteousness or justice. And it's 10% that you're supposed to give away. And that you know, is that's sort of the rule of thumb. Um, but it's certainly to incorporate something into your giving only is going to come back to you in multifold.
1: And it would make most sense, I guess, to uh, to make your charitable contributions throughout the year rather yeah. than in one lump sum. Well, actually, sum. Right,
2: right now is yes. the perfect time to be talking about this because uh, if most Canadians give gifts of cash or checks or credit cards, and I would suggest that that's probably the most inefficient way to give money to charity. Since 1995, the government's in- introduced 25 different pieces of legislation for Canadians to give money to charity. And one way, which most people are not aware, of is if you've had any money in the markets, let's say you have a mutual fund, uh, you know an ETF or some stock, and it's appreciated over the last 10, 20 years, when you sell that, you pay 27% capital gains tax. But the government says that if you donate those shares or that stock to a charity, you don't pay that 27% capital gains tax, and you get a full charitable receipt for the donation. Uh So right now, Jane, while people are thinking about their taxes that are going to be due in April of 2020... Let's say somebody owns 20, they're going to owe $25,000 of tax. Wouldn't it make more sense to donate $50,000 of low cost shares of a company today? Don't pay the capital gains tax and now have a charitable receipt to offset 75% of those taxes that are going to be due next year. But the time you have to do that is before December 31st. So you can do it now or you can set it up later on and just think about doing it for 2020.
1: So the charity gets a benefit, and you get a benefit.
2: Yeah, you save taxes, and you save taxes on the the sale of those securities, which you would have paid 27% on. Plus, you're getting a charitable receipt is now saving you taxes. So really what happens, Jane, is you're converting taxes into charity. And you don't have to distribute it right away either. You could set it up in something called a donor-advised fund. There are different foundations like the Toronto Foundation, the Jewish Foundation, the Oakville Foundation. They'll actually allow you to set up your own almost private foundation through something called a donor-advised fund. So you just put the money in there. It's a parking lot, and you use that as the place to distribute your money next year for all your charities.
1: Mark Halpern is with us, CEO of WealthInsurance.com. Make sure you grab a line now, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Uh, you may have a question about doing your will, and as much as, Mark, we speak to those who are 45-plus, surprisingly. Not that many people actually have an active, up-to-date will.
2: Right. As a matter of fact, there was a survey that came out uh, of the 540,000... Canadians who have a net worth of $1.5 million or more, only 40% of those people had a will. And of those 40%, 80% of them were not up to date. So I've actually met people who are worth $100 million who don't have a will. And by not having a will, that's a terrible thing because what happened is you must really love somebody at CRA so much to not have a will that you want to leave them a Big chunk of your money. So a will is really the most important part of any estate plan. And then followed by that, you need to have a couple of powers of attorney as well. Powers of attorney allow somebody to make decisions on either your personal health care or your finances. And then how about just having a list of where everything is, you know, people, they might have a drawer, you know, where they sort of keep everything and there'd be an emotional event. And then like, where is everything? And people have to do forensics to find bank accounts and digital passwords and life insurance insurance policies or where's the will? So it's really important that you communicate this to your family. Oh,
1: uh, And that maybe is a question you have if you're out there listening and you're thinking about getting your will finally getting it done or getting it redone because uh, they do need to be brought up to date. Uh, the idea of who is going to be the executor of your estate, if you have a question like that for Mark, how do you know who that trusted person should be in your life who would take care of uh, what you've left on this earth uh, as you move on? 416 360 toll-free 1-866-744-740 or maybe you have a question you're in a second marriage how do you deal with beneficiaries in that situation what is the norm what's expected by your spouse what's expected of your children your stepchildren um, Mark let's d- maybe discuss that about the executor how do you choose an executor
2: well, likely if you're a husband and wife, you normally have your spouse as the executor of each other. And if uh, the sp- you're only a single or a widowed or divorced, like you- likely you'll have one of your children, hopefully who's uh, local, you know, geographically desirable, and also capable of following through on the delivery of everything that's said in your will. And, and often people will have more than one child involved. But, you know, I really believe if you don't have that or if you really want the most efficient way is really have a trusted advisor. It could be your accountant or your lawyer. or It could be using a trust where they're just going to execute on all of the things in the will as opposed to getting into the nitty gritty that might cause some serious family, you know, trials and tribulations where there's money and there's a will. Unfortunately, you see kids fighting and it's all about that time that mom you know, sort of carved the cake and gave her a bigger piece than brother. And it's still sort of uh, finding it's rearing its head even at this point in time. So those would be the ways that you get an executor, but they definitely should be somebody who's capable. And if they don't have all the technical know-how, at least they should be able to find the right people to help them to execute your will.
1: If you have a number of adult children, uh, will that put you more at rest, at peace, knowing that you've made all of them co-executors?
2: Yeah, it's it's a good question look at I had one situation where um one individual had their three adult children as executors and they passed away. They had a sizable estate and you know the kids didn't like each other so they could not even decide any decisions that even amounted to a cost of two hundred dollars, because one kid had money, one kid didn't have money, one kid was sort of agnostic, and and it was just they just couldn't get anything done.
1: But why would that be the case if the will was properly laid out?
2: Well, in this case, the will said that it had to be by a majority, right? Ah, so what happens? You needed is a you have, quorum. You needed a quorum. So if you have three different views and nobody's making any decisions, it's kind of a stalemate. So nothing gets done. So this will happen to take several years to actually get done, but their accountant said to me, Mark, if you're ever speaking to people, you know, it's sometimes better just to have your accountant or your lawyer or a trust sort of take care of the executor duties, and basically they just divide everything up according to what what it says in the will, and there's no emotional involvement at all.
1: And what about uh, when we decide as our children are transitioning between being teenagers and young adults, at what time do you do you advise that you list them as a full beneficiary, or uh, putting the money in trust until they're a certain age? What what would you advise parents of children that age? Well,
2: look, at you know it would be a big mistake to leave $10 million to an 18 year old, right? You know, I could think of the Richie Rich comics back in the day and and that would not give them a lot of ambition going forward. So it has to really be thought out. Maybe, you know, they could be part of the executor, be an executor as long as you have a professional as as an executive executor with them. And then you could distribute money to them either when they turn 25 a certain percentage or when they're 30 They get another percentage or if you think they have issues around being a spendthrift or they're going to be blowing the money in a, You know, maybe they have addictions It could be or uh, they're not good with marriages. They're kind of into the serial marriage thing So then maybe putting it into a trust for them or setting it up where they get an annuity So they get a monthly amount of money, but they don't actually have access to the full amount Which of course could disappear very very quickly. We always hear the stats about people winning the lottery. So, I think parents have to really know their kids and be realistic, you know, and also be sensitive and, you know, be concerned about you know what type of life events can happen in the future that might jeopardize uh, hard work that mom and dad did, putting the assets together before they give them over to their children.
1: I know you have questions out there. 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Mark Halpern is with us for the half hour, CEO of wealthinsurance.com, financial and estate planning. Let's go to Wilma. It's just a
0: quick question. Um, if uh, The executor of the will for a relative... Who is pretty um pretty old? Um, dies mm. has very little money in the estate,
1: but has a sizable debt. Who is responsible for that debt? Does the executor have to take it on?
2: No, the executor doesn't have to pay it out of their own pocket. Clearly, you know the executor again is just their job is just to fulfill all the instructions that were left in the will. That's it. So if if the the person who died has an estate and there are taxes. So then the executor is going to have to pay those taxes out of the assets from that estate. So for instance, if somebody has a cottage, let's say, and let's say they paid $100,000 for that cottage and now it's worth 500000 so there'd be a $100,000 capital gains tax that would be due. So the executor in that case either has the money to pay the taxes or they have to borrow the money or unfortunately often they have to sell the cottage to come up with the taxes or they could use insurance. Life insurance is a great way to create the liquidity that's going to be necessary to pay taxes. And it's only penny on, pennies on the dollar. So it's really, there's no cookie cutter here. Each situation is unique. And I suggest that you get some professional advice from a, an estate lawyer to help you out.
1: Thank you, Wilma. Thanks for calling in. Uh, we have just received an email, Mark, about uh, estate taxes. What kind of taxes we actually pay in this country upon death.
2: Well, the good news is is that if you have a spouse, a husband and wife, and one spouse dies, there's no taxes because everything rolls over to the surviving spouse tax-free. But on the second to die of a husband and wife, or if you're, let's say, a single or a widowed or divorced person, the government has their handout. So if you have any registered money, RSPs or RIFs, anything over $220,000 will be taxed at 54%. That means, that means if you have a million dollars in registered money, your family's only going to be getting 460000 or if you have investment real estate, not your principal residence, a cottage, or you have some investment property, or you've got stocks that have appreciated and you don't have a spouse to roll this over to, the government wants 27% of that gain. And if you have any corporations, a company, you've got money sitting in a holding company or an investment company, the government's going to want 47% of that. So you can imagine, Jane, if somebody's sitting there and feeling pretty good that they've got an estate worth $5 million, when they find out that that estate's only going to be worth $3 million, that should get their attention to actually do the planning now while the sun is shining.
1: So if you're the remaining spouse, or you're single, or you're divorced, is there anything you can do to alleviate that tax stress?
2: Sure there is. So again, there's, every one of us has three possible beneficiaries to our estate. You have family, you've got the government, and you have charity. Each of us can pick two of them. Most people would take family and charity. So with proper planning, you can be remembered for leaving a whole bunch of money to charities you care about as opposed to writing a big check to the CRA. So one of the strategies besides, let's say, leaving a bequest in your will of a gift, you know, either a percentage or dollar amount, realize that for every $2 you give to charity, you save a dollar of tax. That's pretty good. Or if you have an RSP or RIF, maybe make the beneficiary of that a charity, in which case you don't pay the 54% tax. The money goes straight to charity as opposed to the government. Or you can use life insurance. Life insurance is a very, very powerful tool that can be used to preserve your estate for your family or to create more money for beneficiaries or for charities. But again, it requires sitting down with a professional and understanding your situation and seeing what options are available.
1: All right. We have questions for you. Let's go to Susan in Brant County. Susan, your question for Mark Halpern.
2: Um, the lady that I just called in a few minutes ago, Wilma, Well, I don't know what she was really asking is this, but it made me think of this. If you're an executor to a will and there's debts and there's not as much money as there is debts, is the executor responsible for somebody else's debts? If you take care of somebody else as well. No, it would not be possible. You'd have nobody who would ever step up as being an executor, right? Correct. Yeah, so no, that wouldn't be the case. Okay, so uh, again, if you're an but, executor and there's less money, so what happens then? Yeah, so listen, the, the, you know, the government's only going to squeeze what they can get out of you, right? Um, they're not going to go off and force you to go borrow a wh- whole bunch of money. But these are the types of things that really can be alleviated by planning now. So uh, that's why I encourage you to sit down with a, a proper estate, lawyer who can help you with a will and help you decide what are the the attributes you should be looking for in an executor and also to help you with some of the tax preservation strategies that we've talked about to try to keep more of your money for yourself or for your family.
1: Okay, Susan? Yep, thank you very okay, much. Okay, thank you. And at the end of the show, just before one o'clock, I have a pen and paper handy. Uh, you can go online, wealthinsurance.com and uh, see how to get a hold of Mark, but we'll also give out his phone number. So, because as, as you can see, there is a lot to think about and this is why we have Mark in today because he's an expert and he'll take care of your money after you die, before and after you die for. 416 toll-free 1-866-744-740. Doug and Arthur, welcome to Fight
0: Back. Go ahead. Thank you. I I have a question about the updating of the will. My wife and I both had wills, um, and she passed away eight years ago. Do I have to update my will?
2: Yeah, you do, because I'm sure that your will says that if anything happens to you, everything goes to your spouse, correct?
0: Right. Yeah. Then to then to the children. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, again, on death, the, the, you really don't necessarily have to fix that will. It's really a divorce where your will you would want to fix because you don't want all your assets to go to an ex-spouse. But it's still, you know, I would suggest, Doug, that, you know, especially with life events that come about, you know, situations change, kids, grandchildren come into the picture, you might inherit some money, you might have some, you know, some passions for charities, I really recommend, you know, even though it's been eight years that you should really sit down and have a relook and just make sure that it's congruent with what you're currently want.
0: Well, it's like it's, nothing has really changed in uh, that respect. So uh, can I just leave it as status quo?
2: Yeah. From, again, I'm giving you a very, very crude answer to yep. that. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, and I really do believe that you should have it looked at by a professional. Okay. But from the sounds of it, you know, that, that would be the case. But please do not go on my word. Speak yep. to a professional.
1: No.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Doug. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to Rhonda in Scarborough. Hi, Rhonda. Hi. You're on Hi. Fight yeah. Back. Afternoon. I was wondering if you could answer. Answer question for me. I'm up in common law with a partner. We have a home. It's in joint tendency. Um, and my partner passes, would I be classified as his wife and um, would I, or would I be classified as a common law and I would be taxed highly if I sold the house?
0: Yeah.
2: So common law is actually interesting. It is, I'm assuming you've been living together for more than a year, right? Yes, 30. Yeah, 30. So you'd be considered married, okay. married by way of uh, having a spousal tax rollover of your assets to each okay. other. Um, so that, that wouldn't be the case. And again, there are different ways to put on the title, um, you know, so, or um, joint rights to survivorship, or joint rights on title. So you just want to make sure that that the property would transfer over without any probate taxes attached to it.
1: Yeah, I then, had a lawyer a while ago and we did have joint tenancy.
2: Perfect. And then the other thing is, you know, just for anybody else who's listening, you know, there are people who have prenuptial agreements. Mm-hmm. Well there are also common law agreements as well too, because what happens is you really have less rights to your common law spouse's assets than you would if you were actually married. So okay. those are things that you should get some clarification on as well.
1: Okay, thank you. That's a good thing to know. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for calling thank in, Rhonda. Bye-bye. Just a few more minutes here with Mark Halpern on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane for Libby. I'll give you the numbers one more time. Any questions about financial planning, estate planning, uh, maybe something is is bothering you about your will that you might want to get changed, now's the time to call. 416 740 Toll free 1-866-744-740. Before we go to George and Pickering, uh, Mark, Mark, how, in terms of uh, what the executor gets paid for delivering on your estate, is so, there a fee? Is there yeah, a set fee? There
2: is, there, again, that's why there, there's actually an obli- a right that an executor has to be remunerated for being the executor, and there's a formula that's set out. It's generally a percentage of the assets. Right. So it can it can range or you could structure it in advance where you indicate a certain amount that you want to pay your executor. It could be a flat rate or an hourly rate so that they don't go ahead and sort of have the faucet on where they're encroaching on all of your capital. So it is re- there
1: a minimum percentage?
2: Nope, there's absolutely no okay. minimum percentage. Again, if you're no longer here and you haven't discussed it, yes. the executor could step forward and say, yes, there is a minimum amount, and this is what it is. It's generally like 2.5%, it could 5%. So they would be entitled because there's a lot of work involved in being an executor. It's not, it's not uh, instant coffee.
1: No, it can a, go on for a while. A
2: long time, and gathering documents, working with the government, working with CRA. Yeah, it, it definitely has some work. So make sure that you're very selective in terms of who that executor is. It shouldn't be somebody where you're living in Toronto. And you have an executor who lives in Bangladesh. That would not be geographically desirable.
1: All right, let's go to George and Pickering. Go ahead, George.
0: Yeah, hi. I'm just wondering why the the basic deduction is still two hundred twenty thousand. Uh, I mean, the way the cost of living is going.
2: Well, I'm not sure where, uh, George, the $220,000 was the marginal. Once you get to $220,000 of income or interest in Canada, you are in the highest tax rate of 53.53%. So let's just mark it off at 54%. That means if you have any RSPs or RIFs, and, you, and somebody dies and there's no spouse to roll it over to, that's all considered income in the year you die. So that's when the government wants 54%. That so that, sense, number, yeah. that number might actually go down. You know, the government needs money. You know, we have a great country. There are a lot of social services, but they need money because, uh, you know, how much more can we increase taxes on cigarettes and gasoline? There's going to be more taxation on income. There's going to be more tax on the higher income earners. And, you know, ultimately, there'll probably be an increase in the capital gain tax or in some sort of inheritance tax down the right. Down okay, the road.
1: George, I'm letting you go. We need to get to John and Alliston. Go ahead, John.
2: Yes, my question is, when a person would like to take out life insurance so that if, when they die, the insurance would be paid to the successors, and therefore, you'll pay for taxes, which are going to be taken off the estate. Yes, is there an age such as if you're 79 years old? Can you tell me what type of payments amount would be taken in that regard, say for? Either a quarter of a million or half a million dollars. Well, I'd be happy to. Again, I don't know the numbers off offhand, but if you send me an email to mark, M-A-R-K, at wealthinsurance.com, or you call our office, 905-475-1313, we'll be happy to help you. We have advisors all across the country that can help you with this information. So it's really, it's really about fitting it into your budget, making sure it's the right amount of insurance. Uh, insurance is available as, as, all the way up to age 85. Clearly, the way you qualify is you have to be healthy. The <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And preferably in these situations, George, that we're talking about, these would likely be policies which would be on husband and wife. They're called joint last to die insurance. Okay. So they take two 79-year-olds and they put you into an actuarial time machine and make you like a 65-year-old male when it comes to pricing. So it's actually a lot more reasonable. But as I said, it's important that you look at that for yourself and we'd be happy to help you navigate and that for you. And
1: what's your number again? We're going to give those out right now, John. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. So let's get get your contact information. Mark Halpern, CEO of wealthinsurance.com. Folks now are thinking about estate planning a little bit more than they were a half hour ago, so let's get them some info.
2: Perfect. So they should go to wealthinsurance.com. They can send an email to mark at wealthinsurance.com, or they can call directly to our office at 905-475-1313. I know we have a 1-800 number, but I just don't know it off off by heart. But if you go to the website, it'll say what that number is. Okay.
1: So one more time, wealthinsurance.com, mark at wealthinsurance.com, and 905-475-1313.